Howdy, Hadley. Hi, Dave. What do you say we take a ride? You got it, man. I'm back in the saddle again. God, that voice. Where a friend is a friend. And he never even had a monitor on stage, let alone an IFB or earpieces. The song makes you sad and happy at the same time. I know. Uh, well, welcome back. Again, it's Bobby T Part 2 on Rump Chat, where it's me, Hambone, J.R. Rump, and the ledge, the greatest of all time, Bob Tom. Bobby. Um, thanks for the accolades, guys. But all of us know. And um, how many got to think about your mom and dad and your brothers and your sister and everybody at Sydney, Iowa that have been volunteers that have made that rodeo happen for years? And you got to go back to your grandparents, Rumpf, and your mom and dad and uh, my dancing partner, Bronk Rumford, <laughs> my buddy. <laughs> My buddy and your brother and the people, and you you could take all of that into aspect. Yeah, buddy. And Uncle Tommy. Uncle oh, yeah. Tommy. <laughs> I can't get my arms around Uncle Tommy, but I love him. You know, Bob, some people don't know that Uncle... Like, we've told Uncle Tommy stories on here. Yeah. And uh, we, we have a pretty big following now, and, like, we get messages that ask if Uncle Tommy is a real person or oh, yeah. if we made him up. <laughs> he is. Oh, no. He's real. So Bob Tallman, you heard it first here. Uncle Tommy is real, okay? I um, I bumped bellies with him one time and never did that again. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta think about Tommy Rumford. Here's the deal. Um, he's named right. It's not Tom. It's Tommy. It is. And uh, he's brother to everybody, son to only a few, and a friend to all, because he would rather work for somebody for nothing because it's the thing he loves to do. Drink some beer. Yeah, <laughs> he, smoke cigarettes. He loves to hang out. Yeah, he got he got mad at me about the one joke I told on here because Uncle Tommy's listening. Uh, when I said Uncle Tommy's so big you can't lift him up in prayer. <laughs> um, Tommy, I heard it. I'm not gonna go there. This is Uncle Bob, and I ain't gonna go there, Tom. We love you. Oh, but where so- I was going with the deal is, and you think about wives, moms, and dads, grandparents that have been in the business that supported all of us, the three of us still today, mm-hmm. okay? Talking about Whitney, Amen. Amen. new mom to Gus. Amen. Talking about your beautiful, by the way, um, you know with this goof-ass virus thing that they got, Ugh. and your wife, I mean, will just nail me for the hugs, kiss on the mouth, and I'm going, okay, it's fine. Uh, see, <clears throat> that going back to that, they always hug Which, the old harmless ones. Well, what 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 makes him part of his legendary status, Bobby T, is he can, you know, and, and it's a, it's a friendly gesture, you know, obviously, and he'll give, you know, the women they'll give him a big hug and they just they flock to him, you know. All yeah. people are like, oh hey, you know, and they little side head. They just, oh, no. I mean, they wrap Ashley. their arms around Bobby T. Even, even Ashley texted me that I was uh, I sent her a Snapchat. And Ashley actually was text or Snapchat me back. She's like, I can't believe you're getting to hang out with Bob Tallman. Like, and I can't even believe it either because like you are my, I mean, we're friends, but you are a hero to so many of us. Like people, I just want to be one of the boys look up to you. And, and that's, that's because you have at rump chat. Uh, we talk about kicking ass and, 
and uh, not just in rodeo, but just in life. In just, life, just being cool and kicking ass, and like drinking. Hearing your stories about growing up and getting two dollars a day and playing eight tracks and and running the madams getting you know uh, running errands for them and taking yeah. their money to the like, bank and and they bought all of the 4-H tickets that we ever had and I they mean, never turned them in when we you, haven't done shit yeah, when you say bob tallman you kind of say that's a dude that's been kicking ass have for you, a long time have you ever had baked rabbit jack rabbits <laughs> i don't Can't say okay that I have, i've never when had we were a kids with 22 with 22 rifles we used to go shoot 25 or 30 jack rabbits and we kind of clean them up a little bit and take them to the madams, and they would they would cook baked rabbit. They would, I mean, it was awesome. They didn't smother it in gravy, they didn't hide it, and they could cook a jackrabbit, make it a filet mignon. It was absolutely phenomenal. Never Here, had jackrabbit. Here's that two dollar story that I wanted to tell you about my wife Kristen. Fifty years last December, we live at Clemens, California, working for this rodeo outfit, and. I'd made plenty of money when I was going to college. I always had two or three thousand dollars in my pocket trading horses. San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo. Mustangs. Yep. Um, blue and gold. And then I went to University of Nevada at Reno. But I was always trading horses, trading cattle, trading something. And um, when we lived at Clements, it was all Highway 88. Just nothing but uh, walnuts, walnut trees, biggins. Some of them hundred years old. And Jerry Marilucci, great bullfighter. And uh, he and Kristen used to go during the day, and they'd get these gunny sacks. You'd get them in Lodi at the market, open-air market. They'd give you the gunny sacks, and then you go rake walnuts or whatever you went and got and take them back, get $2 a load. And I had a one-ton pickup, dually pickup, and they actually could put a ton of walnuts. Now, that's a lot of bags of walnuts on a truck. Make us $75, $80. That was a lot of money. Extra. When you're making 600 bucks a month, she was making $20 a perf, secretarian and timing. Uh, that was a lot of money. And these are the things that your mom did for Bronx. Things that your mom and dad have done for all kinds of people, me included, over the years, and they still do. This is the love that's extended from immediate family and outside family of volunteer people. That has allowed us to become who we are, do what we do, and have security. Food, it's a security thing. Uh, love of a family and getting to sit down and have a family meal, that is, that's pure love, okay? When you think about the extra hours, and I can remember Kristen was pregnant uh, with Nicole. She was born on the 14th of July. This would have been the middle of June, Lake Comanche, California, 105 degrees, hot. Nancy Cook's timing, Kristen's timing, and she passes out. I mean, just exhausted. Eight months pregnant. Down she goes. I don't remember who come and picked her up, picked her up, her, put her feet in the air, got her some ice, and uh, Nancy ran two watches, and I run a watch. We just went on with the rodeo. These are the kinds of things that wives will do. Two weeks before Nicole was born, uh, we took her to Reno St. Mary's Hospital, where Nicole was born, and I'm at a rodeo. With Larry Mahan, Ted Clark, Cindy Dodge, then then Cindy Alexander, uh, Gary Gist, Bob Cook, it's Spokane, Washington. Okay, so the morning that Nicole is born, about noon that day, I think if I remember right, we're in a stagecoach, Benny Binion's original stagecoach, going down the main street, going to the Capitol, and the wheels stuck in the trolley tracks, and the teams went left. 
tip that wagon over. Me and Mary Lutz, Ted Clark, T-Bone, <coughs> and Cindy Dodge. And we just bust, I mean, bust everything on that stagecoach. Just break it to shreds. We get up. We go back. We're sitting in a hot tub with a bunch of Korean people drinking sake. <laughs> and here comes Cindy. Here. You know what I'm saying? I mean... Uh. <clears throat> well, when he tell this story. we didn't have any sake. They had sake. Everything was homemade. It was good stuff. <laughs> Here comes Cindy Dodd screaming, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl. And I said, what do you mean it's a girl? Your wife just had a baby. <laughs> oh, my God. So we get two cartons of Winston cigarettes with an ink pen and write, it's a girl, on every cigarette, put them back in the pack. So that night we go to the rodeo. Gary Gist buys a case of champagne. While Kristen is in the hospital in Reno with Nicole. And we go to drinking that champagne while I, it was X-rated rodeo, I'm sure, after by the time we drank it all. And we're <laughs> passing out cigarettes to people in the grandstand. Probably didn't even smoke, but it's a girl. It's a girl. These are the kinds of things that family at home gives support. I remember being at Nampa, Idaho with Boydie. And we are talking about, you got to go. Your wife is having triplets. And oh. how do you prepare That's for that? Omaha. Yeah, Omaha. Omaha. No, we, yeah. Were, we were at Omaha, Bobby. <laughs> That's where it was, Omaha. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We didn't prepare. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, they came to us, and and at that time, it was a finale, you know, so, you know, you didn't do as much as, as you, you know, normally, uh, just because the format. They came to us, and... and Bobby's hell. I was get a, out of here. We got it. You know, I we, was a crying, dirty wreck. I like grabbed Bob. I'm like, my wife's out. He's like, you're gonna be fine. Then I called Ammo and I was crying. He's like, you're, you're gonna have to slow down, dude. Well, that was pump uh, the brakes. That's what Boyd says. Pump the brakes. Yeah, but uh, it's. I was blessed. <laughs> Gus, Gus couldn't have came at a perfect time because I was done after Rosenberg. Yeah. Until I go to Regina, Saskatchewan, in end of November. And so he came right in the middle of that. Uh, it was it was perfect. So I was blessed to be there. But you know, I mean, like both. I mean, anybody. You, you, you were gone. We you could have. She could have had him that night. You wouldn't have been there. I, you know. I wanted, yeah, and I'm glad I did. And um, the triplets are six. They're taller than everybody. Even though they were two pounds eight ounces when they were born. That don't mean anything. My grandkids were that way. They are scary. Large and in charge and kick and tail and. Watching Paw Patrol and riding horses and saying naughty words sometimes, but we're working on that. Jewels. Uh, look, can we back up in Hammy's life for a minute? I would love to back up. No, let's not. <laughs> okay, Hammy. It's about you, Bob, not about no, me. No, it's about you, Hammy. No, let's, it, let's let this I go. was involved in it. <laughs> and Rump, Rump again to test to it. I think he's heard the story before. I tell Hammy, I got this girl I want you to meet, Hammy. Got this girl. This Whitney Carter. You've got to meet this girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm chumming Whitney, chumming Whitney. And at that time, Whitney lived across the street from Greenwood Baptist Church. Hammy's a Catholic, but he went to church with us and our family a time or two. And so I'm going, Hammy, you've got to. Now, do you want to change into the story? No, uh, no keep, him sh- keep your mouth shut. Bob, you tell us this. Huh? Uh, so Whitney's dad, Guy Carter, and I used to go to Bible study together. And we're buddies. And um, I'm telling Guy Carter, I said, I got this kid and he's... He's just he's as green as they come. He's dripping green right out of his ear. And But I said, I, I trust him. You'll trust him. He comes from an awesome Catholic family. And he went, Catholic? I said, yeah, they're just fine. Okay, I was raised Catholic. And I said, it all it all's going to work. So they get married on the bluff 
at the Guy Carter Ranch, mm-hmm. south of Weatherford, Texas. And I was blessed to get to stand up with them for the service. Then... You married us. It was awesome. Yeah, we had two production <laughs> meetings. Yeah. <clears throat> it took two bottles of wine per production meeting, but we had production meetings. Yeah, Hambo Stick to was, the script, Bob, and he, he did, too. Hambo was, we had it timed out where that sun was going to come down perfect, perfect, right as you said. Through the, through the crotch of a V and a big, beautiful <laughs> oak tree. <laughs> the crotch of the V and a big, beautiful so oak tree. So I got to go back. I'm sorry. So <clears throat> Greenwood Baptist Church, I go with Bob. Whitney's on the road for work, and she's not home. Poppy texts me, hey, we're going to church. I said, I'll meet you there. I'd never been to a Baptist service. I've never been to a Baptist service. So It's good there. We go there. We're sitting <laughs> in the back. We got Pete Zanetti, and we're all sitting together. And at the end, it was a guest speaker. Uh, uh, we, there was a guest uh, preacher that day. Was it Ronnie Hill? <laughs> Ronnie Hill. Yep. Great so, evangelist. Anyway, at the end, they said, you know, with, with eyes closed and Heads bowed. I'll you know, call. Would you if if you believe in Jesus as your as the you know your Lord and Savior, your Lord and Savior, the one true man, blah blah blah. You know, goes on, and I got my head bowed. And I'm I'm agreeing. Yeah, I do, I do. And they said, if you do, you know, look up here and you know, just just look up here and and I was you know I'd like to look you you know look in the eye, whatever they say. I can't remember. Big Brian Bond. And so I'm. Thinking in my head, yeah, I mean, I believe, yeah, Jesus, the, the man, yeah, I believe in all this, yeah. So I look up, I look up, and this cat just happens to be looking in that corner of the church, and we meet eyeball to eyeball. And I look around, everybody else's head's bowed. I'm like, oh, oh okay. So I oh, you head can't back take down. it back. You can't take it back. So I don't know that, what, I don't know what an altar call is. I don't know that you do that if you have never professed your yeah. faith in Jesus Christ before. That you means, get this, right? Okay, so... Yeah. I, I have no idea what's going on. I just agreed with everything he said, as did everybody else, but their heads were bowed. You weren't paying attention because in an altar call it goes, with all eyes closed and all heads bowed. Yes. If you've never met the Lord and you want to today, put your head up well, or hold a hand apparently up. Apparently I missed that part. That's why you got to pay attention. So anyway, so while I'm trying, after it's all over and he said, you know, hey, if you looked up here and you want to come up here, I'd love to have you come up here and say a prayer for you, meet you, talk to you. Visit with you a little bit. So I'm like, ah, no, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. You know, I messed up, right? So I try and sneak through the back. Well, um, I can't remember the – anyway, I get stopped by somebody I knew visiting. Um, Tallman has made his way to the front to Ronnie. And across the church, Hammy, come here. You got to meet this man. Oh, <laughs> you did? God. Yeah. So I went all the way back up there, and this – this guy knows that I'm trying to sneak out the back. Like, I'm afraid to admit that, you know, to, to call You're Jesus. You're afraid of the Lord. Yeah. You're afraid of your own Holy Spirit's what it is. It, it, no. Fight, anyway. I fight it every so day. So he's, he's, he's got his hand on my shoulder. He goes, do you mind if I say a prayer for you? And I'm like, oh, God. Okay, here we go. So Tallman, he goes to turn and talk to somebody. I grabbed him by the shirt collar. Get in here, Bob. You're in this, too. So he says a prayer or whatever. The next day, Larry Bunn, our good friend. Dear friend. Bunn Ponderosa. Bunn Ponderosa. He calls me. <laughs> Will Hobbs is with me, and he's like, he was wanting to talk to me about, you know, like, I had never, I was just like, oh, okay. All right, everybody just relax here. Total misunderstanding. I know Jesus. I went through 13 years of catechism. You know, Jesus is my man. Let's just, but that was, that was my first experience with 
with Bob Tolman in a Baptist service. But how many people can say that? That is what makes it cool. Like, Well, and the people still today, um, Hammy's first banker, Bob Glenn, Northside Baptist Church, and all of these things have ties, okay? I take Hammy in uh, Plains Capital Bank to meet Bob Glenn, and he's got a little loan to pay off, and he wants to buy this red cargo trailer. You bet. So and so... I'd already prepped him. I said, you know, this good Catholic boy goes to Baptist Church with us at Greenwood. And that's all you got to do is tell somebody, up oh, connection, 4.5% interest instead of 6. That's how the, that's how the world works, people. He didn't, okay. run, he didn't run a, uh, I didn't have to give him my taxes, you know, my year, a bank statement. Nope. Well, I got to We'll quit. draw up the papers. On a side note is that. And it was only $4,500. But that's all right. Yeah. Well, at a Baptist church, is that a hand-raised church? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. oh they'll get them up. You oh, yeah. There's yeah. all the different ways. There's the goal post. There's the carrying the TV. There's a fish this big. Like, yep. there's all different styles of holding hands. But I've never well, been to Well, it's a connection of, uh, connection of speaking and praying in tongues. I've and never you been receive to a the, church receive like the that. Holy Spirit. Yeah. And for that, I've, I've used this forever. And I, I talk to kids. And it could be FFA kids here at Houston or Fort Worth or somewhere. And I tell them, bow your heads for a minute and uh, raise your hand. At the end of anything that you do, if you don't have a connection, if you'll think about the Lord hanging on, hanging on the cross at Calvary, okay? Calvary. When you think about how that works, his hands were nailed, they were open, and they faced, faced his father. Ah. Okay? His toes were down and driven with a big spike. And... Uh, I said, his last dying breath, sight was looking up to his father, and his hands were open to send and receive the Holy Spirit. So if you want a connection with somebody, and I'm getting ready to do a celebration of life when I get home for a dear friend, Tom Kinzer, and I tell people this, that if you'd like to have that connection after their life, and they're gone, that if you'll open your hands and allow the Holy Spirit to send that message to heaven, you can talk to your mom, your dad, anybody that's gone, talk to your friend, you can do it in private, you can do it in public, you can do it 24-7. And I, so that's where I use that with the hands down. That makes sense because, like, uh, Abbeville Community Church, you know, growing yeah. up, it, you didn't have, you know, back in the day, since we're kind of on the back of the day, so we didn't have the, the hand raise. And sometimes, like, you know, you'll you'll bring somebody to church that they will start singing a, singing a hymn and the, the hand yep. goes up and, yep. you know, everybody's like, what in the world? You know, cause, well, it depends on where you were raised, how you were raised, and, and what era you were raised in, what was acceptable. And certain things in one church, now in the Catholic church, you don't cough. You can go get a cup of coffee and take it into a Baptist church. I do and, like that. You yeah. Can. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, Catholic, you're not supposed to eat anything an hour is, before communion. Is the Greenwood Church the one that's on your road? Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, right at the oh. tee. It's a block off, but you go by there to go to Hammy's house. Well, since we're talking about the old days and, and whatever, I, I want to hear more. Night, you know, we, uh, you've, you've talked about the growing up in Winnemucca and uh, getting into rodeo, but probably the one era of rodeo, and on the Cowboy Channel, they've been showing a lot of old rodeo films. Yep. But the 1980s. Oh, my God. If I could go back in rodeo at any time, I would go back to the 80s in rodeo I was born in 81, so I missed kind of that era of, of coolness. But, Bob, tell us about rodeo 
announcing rodeos, hanging out in, in the, the 1980s. 80s. Well, we lived in California, Clements at the Fame Farm Ranch off of Highway 88, um, just east of uh, Lockford, east of Lodi, off of Highway 99, goes Sacramento to L.A. I know where that's at, yeah. Okay, so it's a beautiful part of the country. Walnut groves and vineyards and big cow ranches in those days are all vineyards now. But um, it was... Somebody today think that it was a wild time. We did a lot of rodeos in Southern California, so I got to be friends um, with Larry Wilcox, Chips, from the show Chips. Oh, yeah. yeah, Punch. Yep. Yeah. yeah, him and Punch. And I got to be friends with, uh, through H.P. Ebbets and other people with uh, James Kahn. Lots of actors, lots of stuntmen. And there's still guys. I talked to Ryan Brown yesterday. And uh, the bull, the bull rider, he and Lacey. Ryan Brown, that's who I was talking about. The SAA, uh, Ryan from uh, around Temecula, California. Yes, yes, great guy. Live in LA now. Great guy. Yeah, good, good bull rider. Yeah, he was. But his, you know, he got his Early. number number punched, and the day was over, and he was already kind of started in the movie business, and so he's one of the lead stuntmen. Sean Howell, who is a producer now, and um, thinking about all of the Netflix movies that are being made. Uh, my friend that lives, used to live in Poolville, lives in Weatherford now, Eric Brown, um, whose daddy was an actor. Eric um, is still a stuntman. He wrecks uh, motor homes and big buses and airplanes and motorcycles and does all kinds of stuff. Been in the stunt business since he was, you know, 16, 18 years old. Um, those were the times with those kinds of people. Um, that's where Sam Elliott showed up. Well, Sam Elliott's... Uh, uh, Mike, 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 Mike Brown, Mike. I got to think of what his name is. It was his stuntman. He shows up, and he's in the bareback riding in San Jose, California. So here's um, Tom Selig's understudy in uh, Sam Elliott, and Sam Elliott's guy was there. So the rodeo's over, and we had that big house horse trailer that I was telling you about earlier, and. Um, we go to the bar, San Jose, California. Rob Smith's 14 years old. And we go to the bar. Well, Sam Elliott and I, I don't know where Mike went, we get plumb into the whiskey. I mean plumb into it. We come home, and who was Sam Elliott at that time didn't make any difference. I had this dually pickup, d d double cab, crew cab pickup. We go to get in the trailer, and Kristen goes, oh, no, no, no. Nicole was about maybe a year old or whatever. She puts her foot right in sam elliott's chest and pushes him over the top of me and she said you know good rotten subjects are sleeping in the truck so we did so that's the first night i met sam elliott well i've known he and Catherine ross for 30 40 years since yeah okay they're just people that's their job and at those rodeos they were bronc riders they were bulldoggers lots of team ropers and they still did it larry wilcox was a good team roper james Kahn learned how to ride and learned how to rope very, very well. And I have a picture um, of some of those guys doing some of those things around us. And then they'd get off of a movie and they would come and live with us at the ranch at Clements. When we were down south and they'd be working on a movie, James Conn always had a wing of Hefner's mansion. So when we were there, what? I would go with HP and some other guys and we'd stay at Hef's you in the wing. Stayed at the Playboy Mansion. Oh, a dozen times. <laughs> God, I'm terrible. Oh, my God. My life is stupid. And all I ever did, I always slept um, at the pool 
in a cabana. Okay. Did you ever swim in into the nope. grotto? Nope. Hey, I'm telling you what, boys, everybody's got the wrong deal about Hefner in the Playboy Mansion. And they think that it was a sex brawl all the time. No, 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 no. Mr. Hefner was a businessman. Sure. Absolutely. No, I don't Definitely a businessman. And a lot of times, 11, 12 o'clock at night, they'd ring the bell and you'd go to dinner. And they'd sit, white tablecloths and butlers, and eat a two-inch steak 1 o'clock in the morning because that's when he wanted to eat, and everybody ate with him. I've never been treated any better. I've never been treated with more respect. Wow. The first time I went there, I parked my car, and Robert Culp, the old actor, opened the door. Now, I talked when I went in. They got the keypad in those days with a voice box, and I said who I was and where I was from, and drove in there, and they parked my car. Then they took it, and they washed it and waxed it, and they put it in a garage. All right? I had a one of Oldsmobile 88. Everything else was Maseratis and, you know, Lincoln Continentals yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. But that was the 80s out west. Well, at the same time, I started to migrate and go to Denver and then to Fort Worth. How many years were you at Denver? Uh, 13 or 14 with Chuck Sylvester. And then what happened is, is Fort Worth went from 6 to 16 to 20 performances. And it overlapped Denver. So one day I went into Chuck Sylvester's office he and Guy Elliott, who was his understudy then. And I said, uh, Chuck, so, and he's still a dear friend today. Talked to him about this so two months ago. Saw him at the finals. Um, and I said, I'm going to live in Texas someday. I just It's inevitable I'm going to live there. And so the Fort Worth thing's going to overlap. And he said, no, no problem, whatever. He said, I'll get Hadley. And so Hadley went in there, and Don Inslee went in to help Hadley. And away they went, and I went to Fort Worth, and it ended up being 36 performances, three on three Saturdays in a row. And we'd go to Northside on Friday night and then do three shows on Saturday. Goodness. Woo, buddy. <laughs> did your voice, like, uh, did your voice wear out after that many purse? Did, were you 36. With, were you with somebody at Fort Worth? No, by myself. But, but back Good then, Lord. back then, it was, well, shit, until about, you know, three years ago, um, for the whole performance... There's a lot of bands. There's a band. Yeah, and, so, and, 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 and nothing, nothing in between. So you were, so you, you were, were like today trying where to get over music and stuff like that. Yeah, it was a different deal than the old Will Rogers Coliseum, which I absolutely. So loved. you would just pretty much introduce a guy, and he would nod, and the band would play, and then yeah, and I'd tell stories about the guys that I knew something about, but I didn't do two and a half hours a day of homework like we do now. Yeah, but the accuracy today, and with live television on Fox Sports or with the Cowboy Channel that's televising all of Fort Worth, uh, parts of San Antonio, parts of Angelo, now all 15 at Houston. We weren't responsible for an audience outside of that arena. Right. And so 5,400 people on Saturday night, 4,600 people pretty much the rest of the time. It was a different time, and sound systems were different. And then Hammy got liner A's, and I've been spoiled ever since. Yeah, I've been been just trying to keep up with Benj. Was it? Yeah. Was it in the 80s when you uh, uh, got in the plane with Cotton Rosser and he went to sleep and told you to wake him up? When... Him and Mike Servey both. Okay, first <laughs> oh, story God. with Cotton you, Rosser. You talk about, I, yeah, let's get into some traveling, some plane. <laughs> He's got plane back, stories right back now. Back in the day, <clears throat> I can't even imagine being like, fine with somebody, and they go, okay, well. well Cotton's got this old, and, they, and boy, I mean, this old 206 had side doors on it because you could put four or five bales of hay and fly around and kick them out. <laughs> Servey had a 210 with a stole kit. 
So I'm flying with Cotton. We're leaving Long Beach, California. And I don't know how I got there, but I'm going home with him to the ranch at Marysville. And we take off, and none of those guys are uh, VFR qualified. Servi <laughs> was, I think. But what they do is they get him behind a jet, and they take off on his, on his clearance. And away they go. Cotton had this. Uh, Servi had one, too. Had a uh, alarm clock, the old wind-up kind. And he'd, he'd know it's going to take us two and a half hours to get to Sacramento. So he'd set it for two hours, set the alarm, set it in the window next to him. And I had aeronautical maps, so it didn't mean jack to nothing for me. <laughs> and so this is a swing stick deal. And he just caught and you take off and he'd get you a thousand feet in the air. And he'd just click it, swing that stick over and drop it in your lap. And he'd say, okay, you fly. Well, you only had to do about four or five things. You had a little rudder and you knew that you could keep it square, keep the nose up. And keep it throttled and keep your RPMs and your mixture right. You could fly an airplane. Okay. So that's how I learned how to fly. And I'd flown other small planes with other people before, always in the right seat, which I was in the right seat with Cotton. And we'd get up there, and I'd be looking at the map, and I'd be trying to watch, and I'd see 99, i see Interstate 80, and I'd go, <coughs> Cotton, Horton, wake up. I always call him Horton because that's his real name. <laughs> and he'd wake up and go, huh. Good, coach. Oh, good, good. And he'd go to moving stuff and changing radios. And we'd come on the radio and whatever he'd say to somebody. I never talked on the radio. He'd just say, ignore him. Just pretend like you don't hear him. <laughs> so me and Servi, we're at Clovis, New Mexico one day. And we fly into, it's hot, 113 degrees. We fly into Albuquerque to go into the airport, La Cachina. They had a Mexican restaurant in there that was phenomenal. Phenomenal. So we go in there, and they top that 210 off, fill it full of fuel. We're going to ranch at Roggen. So we get back in the airplane, and Servi, I don't know what he's doing, but he's kind of divvying around here and there and so forth and so on. And whatever Mike Servi did, you know, he was Jesus to me. He still is today. I love the man. But we get in behind this big airplane and take off, and he said, now you're going to get up here a ways. He said, you pick your spot to get out of that jet wake. Because a jet wake will go a quarter of a mile behind one of them big jets. And, I mean, that jet wake is thrust. And it will mess you up. So he just throws his briefcase on the floor, falls over in that seat to the left, and I'm flying this plane behind this big deal. I did not know it, but I looked over here, and they were flying out of two runways. And there's another great big jet over here. I didn't see him. I'm just watching this one in front of me, and I figured, okay, it's time to bail. So I just fall this way, a little rudder. Uh, left-hand rudder would take you to the right, and I turn that plane like that, and I look up, and there's a 747. Son of a buck. <laughs> I'm telling you, you talk, this is when your asshole buckers up. You couldn't drive a two-penny nail through it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, am I below it or b above it? I'm right in the middle of that jetway. <laughs> it turned that 210 upside down, spun it around. Everything we had in that plane is flying all over the fuselage. Stuff coming, pipe wrenches out from underneath the seats, a hitting us, so forth. And Servi comes to, screaming, what do you think you do? You could have got killed. He gets it back in line. He said, now, can you stay out of that? Can you get it right? Call me when we get to Denver. Honk. It goes back to sleep. So I fly to Denver. We get to the ranch at Roggen. This is before it was really a determined airstrip. we got to make two passes to make sure there aren't any farm equipment, isn't any farm equipment or any cows. On the runway. Well, because the runway is their driveway now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, one time we're at Fort Madison, Iowa, with Mike serving at 210, and the fuselage comes out, 
about the size of a baseball bat at the end. And the tail wing, the vertical tail wing, goes to the right and the left. And the wind is a-blowing, and it's hot. And he's full of fuel, topped it off, and we're heading for the ranch at Roggin. He said, okay, Bobby, here's the deal. Got the window open on his side. Open the door. I push it out underneath the wing. I step out. He said, now, get me lined up with that runway because he's going to run it hot. Okay? And you go back and hold that fuselage so that you see it, that I'm straight in line with that runway. And then he said, when that, when that tail flap comes around, he said, run and jump in the airplane and away we'll go. Okay? No problem. <laughs> so I'm going back there and I'm holding it with my left hand and I'm watching down that runway and the wind is a blowing. And he has got that stole kit white hot. I mean, just, just wound up as rubber bands should break anytime. About that time, here comes that tail over the top. It locks my hand on the fuselage. And I can see him with his left hand out the window going, come on, come on, come on. And I can't scream loud enough to tell him I'm tied to the airplane. I can't get loose. Pretty soon the wing goes away like that. He shuts the engine down. He's coming up there. So I run up on the left side. I said I was locked onto the fuselage. He said, oh, I forgot to tell you. You got to hold it underneath. <laughs> so the second time he does all the same thing again, I hold it underneath. I run and get in the airplane, we take off, and we're fine. <laughs> That's just two or three little stories of all the ones I've been upside down with, with Hooter Brown. Hooter Brown. Only time I've ever seen Clint Johnson puke. <laughs> yeah. I wish there was more guys named Hooter around anymore. Oh, and Hooter Brown's a hoot. And he is one of the greatest professional pilots. He and Donnie Gay are my two professional pilots. I would ride with Donnie Gay anywhere. Oh, I have. I got to... <clears throat> During a performance at Spanish Fork a couple years ago, I get a notification. My 6 a.m. flight out of Salt Lake City has been canceled. And so I'm going, shit. And after the rodeo, Donnie said, hell, we got to stop in Stephenville, get my truck that was down around there somewhere. And uh, he drove it back to Tyler. The pilot ended up taking yeah. Terry and Tally on, on to uh Tyler or whatever they Tyler right yeah yeah anyway and then he dropped me off Weatherford on the way but stopped at Buffalo Wild Wings had wings and beers it was pretty awesome I trust Donnie Gay explicitly and Bobby Brown as well my wife Kristen and uh, Hooter Brown Bobby Brown are big Facebook buddies and he could be in uh, Belize he could be in Hong Kong and he puts uh, a Snapchat and he puts Facebook Live on his phone and puts it up on the dash. As he's landing in those places, in the left seat, right seat, and he flies—I mean, seven forty-sevens. Wow, he's amazing. So, no, <clears throat> you—you've—I've heard you tell the story. Uh, you were with Mike Servey. Wasn't there some geese at the end of a runway? Oh, that might have been in Shenandoah, Iowa. It was in Shenandoah, Iowa, and I had a—I had a four fourteen Cessna four fourteen twin engine airplane, and Bob Crowfoot, my old pilot, is ninety-six years old today, still alive in Reno. And um, I thought I had to have an airplane, so I went broke the first time. And so we're stopping there um, to go to Fort Madison. And Servey left his crew there and tack, halters, flanks, coolers full of no beer, but all this heavy equipment. So we load them up to go on there. Now the geese is on the way back. That's so right. we go... To the end of the runway, and, I mean, he went way out on the grass, and everybody leaned forward, leaned forward, leaned forward. 
<laughs> and so Servi is coming from behind us in his 210. And so we just wind that old 414 up, and I mean, it was heavy like a rock, but it had power, power in the engines. And we take off, and right at the end of the runway in Shenandoah are just thousands of acres, as you would expect, in Iowa, cornfields. And some of that corn's 8, 10, 12 foot tall. And as we're going, and this was uh, not a fixed gear, you know, had the gears that fold up into the wings. And we take off, and all you could hear was a chatter of those propellers chopping that corn <laughs> and filling those wheel wells full of chopped corn. We get it in the air, and the wheels come up. We land at Fort Madison, and those wheels come down. We, it looked like a harvest had just happened on the runway. So we're leaving there and after Fort Madison, and I don't know why or how. Um, we're leaving somewhat in the same deal, except it's just me and Bob Crowfoot in our plane and Servi and part of his crew in the other. And the geese had moved in. Okay, now this is the, what, second week of September? Labor, yep. Yeah, week yep. after Labor Day. Week yep. after Labor Day. And uh, by the way, anybody in Fort Madison that listens to this, I still love y'all. And uh, Tony yeah. and the Upside Down in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Rick and Judy Berry. And and stories of, of getting late at night going out on the Missouri River. Or the Missouri, Jesus. Mississippi, Mississippi River. River. Set Just, it on a notch three. Three knots and a five-degree circle and circle that river. Because it's really wide right there, you know? Oh, and so man. they would just, they wouldn't even drive. They would set the <laughs> boat would just circle. And just, yeah, drinking beer. We'd having a good time, music playing loud. Here's the deal with the geese. So the geese had moved in about two weeks early into Fort Madison and uh, the Tri-State Rodeo and into that area. But they'd go to farm fields in the, in the ponds. They didn't go on, geese don't go on the Mississippi River. It's got too much current to it. And so we're getting ready to leave, and the geese are everywhere. So we tried to stir them up. We had a guy run down the runway, honking his horn to get the geese off the runway. Well, they'd only go up about 150 feet, and then they'd, they'd cluster up. And there you were trying to take off amongst them geese. Between Servi's airplane and our airplane, I know we had turkey dinner for at least five years' worth of meat scattered all over the wings and the windshield. <laughs> now, for those of you out there, environmentalists that are listening to this, it was an act of God. The geese came to us. We didn't chase the geese. <laughs> There's no environmentalists listening not, to this show. <laughs> not on rump chat. Well, but the thing is, here's those days. Did Was it wrong for those guys to trust us to fly those airplanes? Bobby Brown had a push-pull. Had a prop up here and a prop to face backward on top of the airplane, the twin-engine airplane. And it was the damnedest plane. You could do loops in 180s and full stalls, go to 10,000 feet and just drive it in the air. And that prop would quit and it'd fall over backwards. Down we'd come and away we'd go. Just loop the loops. Screw that. Oh, my God. Just for fun in the middle of a flight going somewhere. (laughs) Get bored. Just for fun. I've never been that bored on an airplane where I think, man, you know, this sucks. It'd be a lot cooler if we were doing flips. Well. Uh, one more thing about the old days uh, that I want to ask you about, just because we've, we've lost them a few weeks ago. But uh, being a rodeo clown, and I think every rodeo clown out there, or every contestant, every anybody that's ever saw Liesl Harris, we just we lost Liesl. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Every I watched the baseball act. Mm. From the time I was little to the, the time I'm clowning, even like when I went to Loveland to help Benny, 
I was, you know, already won Clown of the Year, but I'm sitting at the front row, like, laughing my ass off. He's like, whoop, that whoop, I seen your fastball. It be here next Tuesday. But <laughs> did you get to, I mean, Lisa wasn't really a West Coaster, but you I mean, oh, you I took him everywhere. to the Cow Palace one time and they didn't know what to, how to accept him. Really? Here's the deal with Liesl Harrison. I want to, I want to include Chuck Henson. Chuck Henson, without a wireless mic and no props, could steal an audience away from me just just with his little poodle dog and steal an audience totally away from me in the middle of a rodeo just doing walk-ons. Okay? It's about 1982-3. I go to Jackson, Mississippi. And James Harper took me in there. It was James Harper, God bless him. Um, he and Charlene and all the places that they let me go work for them. And here was Liesl Harris and his son, Matt. And so mm-hmm. um, the night before the rodeo, I go to the clown room. And Liesl welcomes me in arms, not shook my hand with a big hug. That's just the way he was, you know, Tennessee love. And um, now, Bobby, he said, let me tell you how these acts work. Well, I laughed my ass off for two and a half hours. And it wasn't no drinking beer, whiskey, or nothing else. Liesl was serious, you know. He'd have a drink with you. But so we get in the middle of the rodeo with Liesl. And I, Phil Gardenhire, who I still still say today may be the greatest rodeo announcer we ever had of all times. They worked hand in hand, side by side, for so many years yeah. together that Phil had spin that mic in his hand. And do, he was Liesl's straight man. And so he could have his back turned to him, a horseback or in the announcer stand, and Liesl would do his thing, and, and Garden Hire would have a straight line. Liesl would do his thing, and Garden Hire would have a straight line. And they brought audiences down. I watched them. And so Liesl come out with the piano act. And yep. it, a piano. The piano. I got to work this act in Fort that, Smith. Oh, <clears throat> my God. Well, it was my turn to say something, and I was on my knees cracking up. And he'd go, Bobby. <laughs> and i go, yeah, help me I'll be with you in a minute. I'll be with you in a minute. And I was laughing. And so then he'd start laughing. Well, the people that, you know, for his days on Hee Haw and all the other vaudeville things that he did, he was such a great actor. He knew where to drop it, pick it up, pick it up, loft it, wait for you, come back, and do it again. And if he had to, he could do his whole act by himself. He could do his straight side. But Liesl's delivery, country, Okay, but that was his act. Clem Cadiddlehopper was who he kind of patterned some of it after in some of his movie stuff and some of his television stuff. And then he brought that to the arena. But here was something that Liesl did way ahead of his time. Quail Dobbs was good at this, too. Their props were perfect. Their music that they directed to either John Scheidler in the band Mm -hmm. in those early days. And they were timed and explicit they worked at it outside the arena to make sure that if everything was tweaked and you knew as a rodeo announcer where your position was i just had hell doing it with him because i was so entertained by him and uh on my cell phone i got 10 pictures of Liesl. i didn't get to go to the funeral the other day and i called his cell phone hmm. the day after he passed i called his cell phone and i left a five minute deal because i know his wife and family will pick that up and go with it but matt his son matt was raised in a sign shop a lot of people don't know this lisa harris was an artist and he had a sign shop for uh, big signs on the highway and uh, they built neon signs later in life they did everything 
but he was an advertising magnet, Collierville, Tennessee. And he, he brought a, a level of professionalism into the rodeo arena that was combined with TV and hee-haw, combined with the movies that he worked in, combined with all the big shows that he worked for James Harper and other, and other places as well. And Liesel never, ever dropped the ball. I never saw him fail because if you saw something kind of going wrong, you'd kind of step up and help him. Now, let me close the Liesel part of this just real quick. We're at Reno, Nevada, 1988-89. Liesel's working the rodeo, and they are loving him. I'm a horseback, and um, we are having a, a good rodeo. Well, this horse at Julio Marino's at Cotton's, I had a pair of Longshank spurs on, and I'm up in front of the grandstand showing them how to mark out rule. And I got my feet set up there, and some paper plates blew out of the box seats and scared this horse. And when he did, I had my feet up there, and the, it went under the breast collar, and this bitch did go to bucking. I've, I've been wanting him to buck. He was a colt, and I tried to get him to buck for oh, seven, eight days, <clears throat> and he did go to bucking. Well, when it did, it threw my left leg up over the swell of the saddle, and he hit the ground, and it spiral fractured this leg, and it shot the bone right out through my pants and my chinks. Okay? So I got a hold of the saddle horn with my mic in it. People are screaming, Julio's coming to get me, and I see Coy Huffman already running to me. So I lose the right stirrup, and I go to bail off this son of a buck. Drops me right on my hip, which I'd broke before. And I put my arm down to break the fall, dislocate my shoulder, and it's stuck right here in my chest. Oh, I got God. this bone sticking out where I dropped the mic, mm. and I got a hold of it right there with my hand, and my hips broke. Mm. And I'm laying on the ground. Now, this is pure trauma, man. I mean, you hurt so bad, it doesn't even hurt. You're numb. Immediately, like that. Oh, my God. So they come get me. Coy's there praying for me. Everybody else, they get me on a gurney. And they take me to this trauma unit. And um, this beautiful, beautiful lady, uh, Paiute Indian lady, is a trauma nurse. And she goes in there and they're going, oh, my God. Because there's blood here. There's something else. My arm's stuck. They can't get it out because the chip out of the shoulder is stuck in the shoulder socket. They couldn't push it back in. So I'm in there, I mean, in pieces. I said, get me a beer and a cigarette. <laughs> yes. That is rope chat shit. That's what I wanted. I wanted a beer and a cigarette. Well, you can't have a cigarette in there because the oxygen in the trauma unit. So I said, somebody stand on the outside and light me a cigarette. When they take me out of here, put me in that ambulance, you get me that cigarette. And they got me a beer, and I just poured it all over my face and drank all of it I could. And they picked me out of there and take me to St. Mary's Hospital. Just as they're loading me in the ambulance, I hear the crowd just scream. And I hear uh, Lee McKenzie uh, was announcing the rodeo while I was gone. And this bull bratted Liesel up against this uh, Powder River panel. It broke his hip. It broke his ribs. Tore up his shoulder. Messed up his knees. I mean, did brat him not once, but hit him about four times. Down he falls. And I said, what in the hell was that? They said, Liesel just got hit by a bull. And I'm going, oh, my God. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm damn sure hurt, but I'm conscious enough to know this ain't good. They take me to the hospital, run me in there, and they're prepping me for surgery. 
What are they going to operate on first? A spiral fractured leg, a broken hip, or the shoulder? So Dr. Mario Porras, who I call a genius still today, uh, we used to call him a chainsaw surgeon because he'd come hunting with me in Baker, Oregon. We'd go elk hunting and get 10 in the day. Him and a bunch of guys, everybody, it was a farm tag deal. Anyway, here they come with Liesel on a gurney. So as soon as Mario's done operating on my hip and this leg, he just s- slides off the gloves and goes and operates on Liesel with a broken hip. They put me in a room, in a double room. I wake up 5 o'clock in the morning, kind of. <laughs> I, you know, whatever you got, Demerol and whatever painkillers sure. they got in you. And I look over, and there is Liesel Harris laying next to me. <laughs> and he is in the same shape I'm in. I live for 13 days in that room with Liesel Harris. There's not another man that can say that they lived with Liesel Harris for 13 days, three foot away. And every night, a different restaurant would cater us different food. So we had it figured out. The local distributor bring us both a Crown Royal, bottle of Crown Royal, <laughs> stuck it behind our pillow behind the bed, and the nurses would have some. But oh, the nurses. We'd have, they'd come with a Demerol shot, and then we'd have a little Crown Royal, and then we'd have dinner. And we watched TV. And my dad came and stayed there for four or five days. With his, my dad always called Lisa Lysol. <laughs> Lysol. And as late as last December, I'd see him and I'd say, Hey, Lysol, how are you? I've got all of his books, all everything signed. And my life with Liesl Harris was a loving blur. A loving blur. One of a kind. Yep. Never to be duplicated. And for those of us in this world... And many try. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't duplicate him. Yeah. You can't even duplicate his makeup. No. No, but on July 4th this year, on the 4th of July, since there's so many rodeos, our whole rodeo clown group uh, with John Harrison and Sosby and Lurwell and, and uh, everybody on July 4th, we're all dressing and putting on makeup like Liesl Harris. Awesome. That'd be good. So good full, tribute. Full Boris helping like with the jerseys and I'm gonna be the chubbiest. Uh me and Liesl Sosby, Harris. <laughs> me and Sosby will be the big Liesl Harris's, but like John Harrison and uh and Troy and some of the skinnier guys, they'll be able to pull Matt Tar will pull off a good Liesl, you know. He's he's got the build for it. But uh Y'all ought to try and do like the baseball act or you know what I mean? Uh but you can't uh, but you can't. You won't do it justice. There's, so that's a bad idea. I don't, yeah, I don't think I would so, um, ever want to try. You know, I can you imagine the nurses though, with Tolman and the, Liesl. With those two, what uh, those nurses? That's why went they through? were drinking whiskey. They're like these two some bitches. <laughs> Here's a deal. Here's a deal, guys. You got to understand something. My dad helped Liesl beat me in a hundred dollar bet because they were not going to discharge either one of us until you could poop. Okay, and you get plugged up in a hospital. I mean, plugged up. So my dad goes and gets a big sack, two-pound sack of prunes. And he, I ain't eating no prunes. Liesl's eating them prunes for about three days. One morning, he called the nurse. He said, you better come quick. <laughs> she put him in the shower. <laughs> and he filled that shower. About ten days, no poop, all poop. And he's in that shower screaming, yo me a hundred, yo me a hundred, yo me a hundred. Only to be heard on live electric rump chat with Hammy and Rump. Oh, God. He was. I wanted to go to the funeral to tell that story and a couple others. What a great. The the last thing that he said to me was at the finals. And Lisa would call me every now and then. But everybody, you know, at the finals, like at the, uh, the, the casino where they have the. 
the convention or whatever, you know, every every ten foot somebody wants to take a picture of Liesel. Yeah. And Liesel joked joked around. I go, hey, what's going on, Liesel? And he said, see what they're doing? All these people are wanting to take a picture with old Liesel, so they got something to put on the Facebook when I kick it. And he laughed and and uh, that's but that's he was just a cool dude. And that's like the the coolest guys like Harry Vold died in his sleep. Hadley would work San Antonio and slipped away and Liesel worked a performance and died after like Jackson his his you know rodeo he'd been at for 40 years yeah hey this week we lost a great lady yeah uh, we lost Miss Liz G- Kessler back in uh, December this week uh, we lost Judy, Judy Kessler and um, she died in her sleep 74 years old way too young Greg Kessler's widow now they're together and um, this would have been uh, Reg Kessler's daughter-in-law um, what a way to go. Yeah, and you know what? That we talked about that at last chat, uh, one of our last rump chats. You know, you know, uh, love the people you're with. Um, you know, it's, just, it's crazy because, like, I always thought so many times, like, man, I should call Liesel. You know, I need to call him just, you know, because he'd call me and ask. And then I was like, well, I'll call him later. I'll get call him later. And then, then now he's, you know, I'm thinking, man, I wish I would have just, when I'm driving, instead of yeah, I wish I'd have just took five minutes to go. Hey, what's going on, Cecil? You know, yep. And, People, uh, you're listening to this today. There's somebody in your life that you love that you haven't talked to in five years. If you got their number, thumb it. Call it. Call them. As Tanya Tucker's new song says, "Bring my flowers now. Don't Tanya. wait till I'm gone." Sounds just like that. Tanya Tucker. <laughs> you mean Boyd's old girlfriend, Tanya Tucker? <laughs> Did you know he worked a lot with Boyd? You know he dated Tanya Tucker. Oh, oh my God. I was there the night she jumped on him. Oh, God. We, boy, I guarantee you Tallman has seen Tanya. You know, she used to hang around the old rodeo business. and she Well, she dated uh, Hooter Brown. Brown. That was it. And Roy Cooper. Oh, yeah. Studio right. 54, L.A. Could you um, imagine? I told you this story the other day. Do you imagine? And, um, yeah, I watched the documentary on it. That's, <clears throat> that's New York City, though. Oh. Yeah. No, this is Studio 54 in L.A. Singing. Sound studio. Oh, my God. Phenomenal. Well, we're going to... Part two has come to an end. We'll end it there with a little Liesl Harris tribute here for the piano act. This I is love the music. it. But... Bobby, thank you so much for your time. Oh, Hammy. We will, we, we've only scratched the surface. It's like your dad. We've only scratched the surface with Bronk, and we've only scratched the surface with with Bobby T. And next so. time we'll talk about Bobby T's beef jerky. Yes, and actually we can do it right now. If, if, if they're in, uh, Where are you all at, Bobby? Okay, United Supermarkets in North and West Texas, Boot Barn Stores Coast to Coast, and Central Market Stores, 12 of them, from Fort Worth to Dallas, San Antonio to Austin to Houston. Perfect. There and online, of course, that's where the easy way is. BobbyT'sJerky.com. There you go. All right. This is the end of the piano oh, act right here. This is where the piano starts smoking and everything with old Liesel. So He's fanning it with his hat right now. Anyway, God God rest your soul, old friend. Thank you to uh, Bob Tallman, and thank you to Boyd Gaming. Thank you, Boyd Gaming. With our other sponsors, Gold Buckle, Gold Buckle Beer. Beer. We sure I'm Boyd Gaming y'all. and proud of it. Rump, love you. Hammy, love you. Love you, Raise Bobby. some more kids, boys. <laughs> All right. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. It's Rump Chat signing off.